to When Life Gives You Melons, a podcast for the dyslexic community. We're your hosts. I'm Reed. And I'm Drew. And today's script is again written by Drew. So let's just uh, have her take the reins. So this script was based on the research by Stanislas Stuin, who is a neuroscientist based in Paris. He does studies on the brain, scanning the brains of adults and children, and seeing how the brain learns. He's quoted with saying... I believe it is a shame that teachers know more about the workings of a car than they do about the workings of the brain of the children. I mean it. I think if you want to change a system, you have to understand how it works. I believe that empowering teachers with this appropriate knowledge of the principles of brain plasticity and education will lead to a better classical practice. We are going to talk about reading and how we understand it from the brain's point of view. If you have never learned how to read, then any text you see is going to be no more understandable to you than ancient texts chiseled into stone. Texture, but no meaning. So we know that the left hemisphere of the brain is essential for language as well as reading. When a person's brain is scanned, you can see where the language side of the brain lights up, starting from the back and rapidly shooting towards the front. We can even see its loop several times in rapid succession. When we scan a brain when it reads, we can see that words and letters go into the left side of the brain just like every other visual stimuli. But when it shoots off, it goes into a particular part of the left side of the brain that he calls the letterbox. He calls it that because that is where we store the words and letters that we recognize. Right from there, it gets shot off into two other places. One that is concerned with the meaning of the word, and the other with the pronunciation and articulation of the word. So it's basically, that there is basically just re-saying, like the medical like terms for those things is the bracus area, the periotemporal and occipital temporal. I remember talking about that in our episode about the brain. So from the brain's point of view, learning to read consists of, first, recognizing the letters and how they combine into a written word, and second, connecting them to a system coded for speech sounds. So reading is complicated. When a child goes to school, they already have a very sophisticated visual system and a very sophisticated language system. In order to connect these two systems, they need to create an interface, which is what he calls the letterbox. That is something that we need to create. It's not inherently there. We know this because many labs in several different countries have scanned the brains of adults and of children to see what changes after they've learned to read are occurring. So these changes that they're seeing are quantifiable. They can be recreated and redone in study after study. So they know this is occurring. Fairly recently, he did a study with Brazil and Portugal where they scanned the brains of some literate and varying degrees of non-illiterate people. 
so they could see the changes that happen in the brain when someone learns how to read. By doing this, he was able to create a complete map of the brain and how it learns how to read. I personally think that is absolutely amazing that we have a map of the brain telling us exactly how it learns. They've discovered that this letterbox area only activates in people that have learned how to read. It will activate in direct proportion to their reading score, and it will also activate in direct understanding of the letters that you know. So basically, if you know the letter, then your brain in that letterbox area is going to recognize it and say, hey, man, I can see you. I know what that is. But if you haven't been taught it, your brain can't figure it out on its own that way. And I kind of had this issue with the whole idea of the O-U-S and the endings of letters or endings of words. I was never taught those until I went to Norman Howard. I was never taught the ing, ang, ang, on, you know, un, those things. Like, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And without knowing those, without your brain being able to light up and go, oh, I see that, you're not going to be able to read that. So frustrating. Yeah. If you have learned an alphabetic language, you have changed the way your cortex codes phonemes of speech. Basically, if you've learned an alphabetic language, you've changed the way you recognize letters and shapes and correlating them with the sounds that they make that has to be learned. And when you learn it, you actually are changing the way your brain processes letters. So are you telling me that it's all boiling down to uh, phonics and phonemes again? Yes, and i that's what I'm going to be talking a lot about, unfortunately, because people want to fight that. They want to fight the fact that phonics is like the core essence of reading. I don't know why. Why decoding is, isn't the core essence of reading, because it is. Well, it's like... And I'm going to beat this horse. I guess the majority of the population has a harder time with phonics than they do with the decoding part, and decoding just comes along with it, but... As a dyslexic person, I have an issue with both. Mm-hmm. Yes. And there, there's a lot of truth to that, because I do know people who have had issues with reading as, as a child, but eventually they clicked on, like the phonics clicked at some point. And unfortunately, that just doesn't happen for everybody. And we need to be teaching towards everybody, not just the ones who can click on fast and can eventually click on. So from my perspective, what I feel like happens a lot is that, especially with being dyslexic, I have an issue with the coding. For some reason, teachers don't believe it and decide to just continue teaching you the same way that they teach everybody else. And I don't understand how it's like, you can tell it's not working, right? You can tell it's not working. So why are we continue doing something that's not working? Like, that makes no sense to me. The only way I can explain it and... I actually have heard it through him, through his research, is this idea of a whole word of sight words is a myth that we're forced to live up to. When a brain is scanned, they can see on the brain scan that your brain is seeing each individual letter, but just super fast. They don't see it as one shape. They see it as each individual letter that's in that word. It's all about being fast, and they just want you to be fast for some reason instead of being good. (laughs) Which I feel like that boils, that goes into more stuff of like people are like waiting on you to read fast, and guess what? I already read slow, and I'm gonna read slower because now I'm nervous. Exactly. Oh, 
Nothing worse than being nervous and reading because, yeah, you're just going to read slower and make more mistakes. They can see on a brain scan, they can see where the fibers that are taking the letters and the sounds from the occipital lobe are the ones that learn to read and need to be drilled into over and over and over again. And how to drill them in. Yeah, they can see the connection. Yeah. What did the letterbox area do before we learned to read? Well, oh wait, I'm going to guess. I, didn't, I haven't read it. Um, because I think the letterbox area is the parsipital temporal area, so I'm going to say that it was... There's only a couple of things it can do. I think it's the, uh, is it the recognition of pictures in our day-to-day world. It's pretty much, yeah, very good. It is the, it is the part where the recognition of faces and objects are is located yeah. yeah so yeah so what's interesting about you this see i remember my research sometimes <laughs> yes you do and what i find particularly interesting about this is when the brain is learning to read it actually is having a little bit of a fight with that particular lobe in the brain well that's the one that messes us up you know it is and the fight is what is it going to be used for? With neurotypical readers, they take facial recognition and push it over to the right side of the brain. So they're recognizing faces in a different place than we are? Mm-hmm. I mean, because we're using the right side of our brain to try to read for mm-hmm. some reason. Yeah. So they're using the left side of the brain, that area, this letterbox area, and saying, you now read, and instead of looking at faces, we're going to shove that over to the right side. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Brains are funny. Brains are funny and they're complicated, and in order to learn how to read, you actually have to reorganize them, which some brains do easier than others. Yeah, or at least that type of reorganizing. Yeah. Well, as his research goes in, he actually talks also that um, he can see the same things in math, and they're trying to develop ways of helping people learn math better for people with, like, Dyscalcula. Yeah. So. (laughs) It's almost like very much like, you know, medicine gets uh, advanced and um, technology gets advanced. And where has education been? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Still a fight for some reason. And and, and we have research that's been going on since at least the early 80s, at least the early 80s. And all of it points to the same thing. Strong phonics base, strong decoding skills. That makes me wonder how how teachers are being taught. And I know I've had this question before, but how are you being taught teachers in school, going to school to be a teacher, to teach children? How are you being taught? How are you being taught to teach us? Is it just like a one size fits all? Like, are we, are we just... That's okay, whatever. Whatever. Oh, these are questions I intend to, to ask and see what the answers are. Those are our, our soon-to-be questions, hopefully next season. I will have some answers, too. We'll see. In his research, he's really found that brains across all cultures are pretty much the same in the way we learn how to read our various languages. And being able to use these brain scans to see how the brain is working to help know how to teach us they can that can really benefit teachers and truly understanding what they need to do to help make all of the children successful which is what education is supposed to be there for i agree i, I don't understand why it would 
be such a foreign concept to, to you know, have a, a neuroscan done and then to use those scans to understand how to better educate our people. I mean, it just seems, it makes sense to me, but I guess this is still something that is in the research area and like you have to be like this guy who who's off just doing it on his own you know like mm-hmm. why don't we use brain scans to learn about education that makes it makes a lot of sense to me and why don't we use the wonderful research people have been doing in multiple labs across the world that are coming up with the same type of research the same type of answers why aren't we using these to make better education I mean, if we can, oh, what's that stupid? If we can uh, all of a sudden implement Common Core, we can learn a different way to teach how to read. <laughs> what's Common Core? Oh, Common Core is how they teach people to do math now. And it's apparently, apparently from what I've heard, everyone hates it. It's much more complicated. Though I don't have a child and I was not in school during the time that Common Core was being put out there. Mm-hmm. Drew's giving me a face of dis- disdain, and I agree. Well, they should be doing it based off of good research, which, I'm sorry, if you're not looking at the brain to see how it works, you don't know what you're doing. I guess, yeah. I mean, it's just, ugh. Whatever. Whatever. Otherwise, you're just you're just throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping Try stuff sticks. Try to see sticks. if that noodle's done or not. Yeah. Nope. No. Still crunchy. Oh, I don't like crunchy noodles. <laughs> Well, thank you guys so much for listening to us on another Thursday. And we love having you every Thursday. We love talking to you and seeing our community grow. Please, 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 please come back and grow with us. Send us off to other people that you think will like us and we'll grow with them. Yeah. Always uh, like uh, subscribe to the podcast so that way you get new episodes and you know that, like when we're sending them out or not sending them out on accident which happened last week which is fine um, I was ha- traveling yes she was traveling That's my excuse sorry she's, she's traveling and I'm just chilling here with my oh my hands in my pockets <laughs> um Head over to Instagram, melons.podcast on the Instagrams. That's where I post stuff to go along with our episodes and other, you know, random things, which is, I'm into it. You're into it. I'm into it. Um, anything into else? It. Drew's into it. Everyone's into it. So with that, my little, my little melon patch, be different and be kind. 